This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and hello, Product Masters. Thank you for listening. We're going to have an important discussion about how to communicate in a way that makes people remember what is important. That is communicating to influence others and build networks to help you accomplish your product objectives. Helping us do that is our guest, Tina Fry Clements. She believes that a company's success is directly related to the engagement of its people, and she excels at moving businesses forward and motivating and growing talent. Her experience has been in many areas, but has emphasized the automotive industry with Trex at BMW, Volkswagen, and Mini. To get the detailed written summary of everything we talk about, along with a one-page action guide to help you put into action the concepts that you hear, just go to productmasterynow.com slash 343. Now, let's move towards product mastery. Dina, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Chad, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Everyday Innovators, we've been just bantering a bit. I think you're in store for a delightful conversation with Tina. We're going to learn more about how to be better communicators. And Tina, you position this really as how people can take the next step in their career, which I think is spot on, right? Communication is the key to a lot of our career growth. Mm -hmm. And you combine this with facilitation, which I I don't see other communicators talking about it in this way. I'm, I'm curious about kind of what you mean by facilitation. When you're facilitating a message, it quite honestly has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the learner, with the recipient, with the audience. And the definition and the job of a facilitator is to present the information and then get out of the way of the learner and let the learner learn. And in the case, uh, and, and, and everything that we talk about in the book and everything as we teach facilitators how to be literal stand-up facilitators All of those skills and tools can be utilized in one-on-one communication, or if you're presenting to a board, or if you are, quite frankly, in some sort of a a conflict where you, you need to get to a resolution or your audience, your goal is to get them to hear you and potentially shift their perspective to then take action. So all the skills and tools that we communicate around how to facilitate can be used quite honestly, in any one-on-one communication. So this is helpful for our personal lives, for sure, how we can become better facilitators. And also for uh, us, uh, you know, so many things you said there that resonated with me as product managers, that we need to be influencing others, you know, trying to get them to, in a sense, buy into our ideas, get their support, get their collaboration to make the ideas better as well. And there are those difficult situations where maybe we, we have to, you know, have the courage to respond to the, someone's, you know, pet project that they really want. And it doesn't really make sense in the scheme of what we're doing. I'll push back a little bit or, or just move forward with the team, you know, through, through some conflict. So I'm hoping that we can learn more about how to be better facilitators, the, this art of facilitation, us to be more effective in the work that we do as product managers. And you have vast experience uh, with product managers as well as with uh, communication and other aspects of satisfying customers. So I'm really looking forward to where this ends up going. What should we be trying to accomplish as a good facilitator? What should be in our mindset going into a communication situation? It depends on the goal, regardless of product manager or any role, really. It's what what's your goal in communicating this particular message. I feel the need to say, I love product managers. 
love you all. The, 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 the product managers with whom I have worked over my many years, what blows my mind is how much you have to know and, and just overwhelming amount of details and math and stats and all of the things. You, ha- you have to know all the things. And there usually is a goal to have to communicate all of the things, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. so thank you for doing the jobs that you do. And the first question to answer your question specifically is what's, okay, so what is your goal in this case? Are you in the need of communicating to, to retail stores so then they can sell the thing? Are you in need to work with marketing so then they can promote the thing? It depends on what the goal is. And then once you define that and really streamline it and understand what it is, then you have to first remember that to whomever you are communicating, they don't necessarily communicate like you do. That's rule number one. No one learns the same. And as facilitators, as communicators, humans typically communicate in the way that they like to be communicated to. Well, guess what? That works maybe 20%. of It works when you're lucky, if you hit the right audience. And I think, Chad, the best example that I can give in my world, I've worked in the automotive industry for a super long time. And a lot of the product managers that I've worked with in the past were, incre- I mean, again, love them, incredibly cerebral and task oriented. I would call them from a behavior style, they were um, conscientious, they were slow task and whatnot. And they learn linearly and in that way, and they would take all their data. And when they went to teach or communicate or share, they would do so in that exact same format. And again, in my world, if you are communicating that way to, to automotive dealerships, so sales personnel who, and I'm going to stereotype, don't necessarily take in information that way, they're gone. They're, they're, they're not listening. They're bored. They don't see the with them. They don't understand. So the first rule, that was a very long-winded way, Chad, of saying rule number one goal. Two, it's, okay, this is how I communicate, but that's not how my audience needs to hear it. So how does my audience need to hear it? And then I need to shift to make sure that they not only are hearing it, but they're retaining it so then they can apply whatever it is I, my goal is, what I need them to know. Excellent. So focus on the goal and how the audience might be receiving the message, what they need to hear. I had this really interesting experience. Um, I'm sure many people have done some kind of personality temperament assessment, you know, DISC or Myers-Briggs or others. Mm-hmm. I did Myers-Briggs a few times and once in a, a training setting with the, uh, what is it, the Center for Creative Leadership. And it was so well done. And it was the first time I really appreciated that because I am wired differently than other people, we, we, we don't have the same perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it was before this, There, I knew there were a couple kinds of people that just annoyed me to know in. If anyone's listening, that tends to be N, Fs, or Ps in your Myers-Briggs. You used to be in that group. Mm-hmm. And after this experience, I realized how much better they make me. That If I'm on teams with them, we're a much better team because they approach yes. things differently. Mm-hmm. And as you're talking about, we need to understand that the way we communicate is not necessarily the way the audience wants to hear it. And the way we might even think about positioning the messaging is not what the audience actually needs to hear from us. Correct. Absolutely. What you just described is is massive. You had what we call a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's It comes with people, you know, nowadays it's the buzzword. It's mindset. 
and you decided in that moment, hold on a second, I'm not going to push back and get defensive and be in, be in victim state. Stop. Let me acknowledge that I do learn differently and I might not enjoy nor like the way that this person or these people are teaching or, or whatever, but I understand how there can be value. And I'm going to shift and then we're going to work together. If I could get the world <laughs> to sound dramatic, to really understand that one part, we could blow up. We could be ridiculously successful because that's really what it comes down to. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that not just product managers, but humans have is to stop in the moment and go, okay, maybe I'm not the best person for the job right now, or hold on, what's really going on for me? And then shift and ask questions or teach differently or whatever it is. So well done you, Chad, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know what they say about a blind, a blind squirrel every now and then they find a nut too. So it was a good experience. Okay. So let's tease this apart a little bit further. I know when in your book, when you're talking about how to be a better facilitator, you kind of use this frame. How can we help them remember, retain, and apply, right? So I'd like to understand some details here so that we can grow in our influence with others. And when we need to work through that conflict or get people on the same page, try to present our ideas, that we can get them to do that too, right? What do we want them to remember or retain about this experience and then uh, help us apply? That's right. And it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. And one of the first, once, once you've acknowledged that not everyone learns like I do and know that you have to shift, right? Okay, so what is the message that I need them, him or her, to, to hear? What is it? And the next thing to do is to try to see figure out, understand what is the learning style of that person. Now, if you Google learning styles, you will have a myriad of feedback. It's visual, auditory, reading, writing, learning. There's another learning style, my particular favorite, because it's mine, which is called intellectual. And what that means, that doesn't mean I'm smart, by the way. It means that I need to learn in order and I'll be processing along the way. So what that really means, if you see me look up into the sky and take a breath and not respond, it's because I'm digesting what I just heard. And if you move on to the next piece and I'm not ready, I'm gone. So you and these are just five of the way people take in information. There are more. So I really invite anyone listening. If you do research, you, you will find more out there. But as the basics, figure that out. And if you are approaching someone who is visual and an intellectual learner, hypothetically. And there are cues if people are looking around and they're looking at, the, there's their visual. Mo a lot of humans are visual. You can kind of make that assumption. If you have somebody who is voraciously taking notes as you're talking, they're a reading, writing learner. Obviously, they need to be writing to compartmentalize. So as you figure this out, you then have to support that type of learning, uh, adult learner. And again, this truly could be another podcast chat for hours because A, I love to talk about this and B, we really could, could get into the minutia. But at a very high level, for a visual learner, have visuals or have them close their eyes and visualize what you're saying if you need to tell a story to get them to see it. For the reading, writing, yes, have write it down, but then have them verbalize it to another person so they can rewrite it. Or if you give them something, have them write it down so then they can read it for themselves and they can write it down. For the for the VA, or I had to cheat myself, V auditory. So the auditory learner, 
this is the trick. They, they don't want to just hear you pontificate, blah, 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 blah. Let them talk. They need to hear themselves so they can process it for themselves, which can be as simple as, all right, I just said a lot of words, Chad. What did you hear me say? And then have them repeat it back. And then there's the K, which is kinesthetic or somatic. And that really means I need to be moving. And this one arguably is the most important and challenging for us when we are facilitating a message to a board or something, because learners are just babies in big bodies. So says Dave Meyer from the Accelerated Learning Handbook, My Guru. And we, if you ever see a, a four-year-old tell a story, they're like this. I don't know if everyone can see me. So I went to the store and my body's all over the place, right? We need to be moving. So what I like to do, and I've gotten interesting feedback on this, regardless of the audience, is I hand out Play-Doh or pipe cleaners are my personal favorite, regardless of the group and have, and those who need it. Sure enough, I will have unbelievable sculptures by the end of whatever we're doing because people need to be moving so they can be retaining and ultimately apply. So again, I can go so much further and we could do this, but in general, know who you have in front of you, prepare, prepare, prepare. And if it's a big group, you're going to have to hit all of them. You have to figure out how to script your message so you can be hitting, hitting all of them. And if I may just add this, at the end of whatever Whatever you're communicating and teaching, it's, okay, so what's the action item here? Always leave that human with a mission, whether it be, so I need you to make sure that you heard me, get it back to me in an email. Or, okay, we've just decided on this. You tell me, what are your action items and what are the deadlines after this? And you hold them accountable to ensure that, that they've heard. Excellent. So yeah, lots of information there. We could certainly go a lot deeper for sure. How people receive information, that kind of their communication style and their learning style. And as you said, I, I was curious, like, well, what if you don't know the audience, right? If it's a large audience, then you have to hit hit all of these uh, yes. and plan mm-hmm. on having different mm-hmm. different modalities for your communication. We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. Okay, so that's a good place to start, the, the thinking about how the information will be received, how they take the information in. Where else do we go? If possible, this is people need to be interactive. So if you are, if it's, if you have the opportunity, and this is the challenge, right? We don't always have this opportunity, but if we have the opportunity to what, present the information, however you get it out there, there's always that fun 80-20 rule, right? So of your entire communication, should be getting the information out there. And then the other 80% 
should be them figuring out the information on their own. What do I do with it? Because there's this thing called free will. And unfortunately, we can't control that. I would love to put my finger in somebody's face and say, go do that. And then think, oh, magically, they're going to go and do it. That's not how human beings work ever. And I have a child. So we all know, right? Never. She hasn't washed a dish in 11 years. So, you know, you can't just do <laughs> You to get people to act, you have to have them create their own thought around it, which then re results in a feeling, which then results in an action. So by creating an environment or an experience where they can work on the thing their, themselves, they will then they will come up with their own motivation and why they should be doing it, et cetera, et cetera. So if you again, if you have the latitude and can say, OK, gang, so I just presented this new flying vehicle. And all of the products, so I've, I've given you all the information. We're going to work together on how we can get it out there to the market because it's new and no, everybody's afraid of flying cars. So we're going to spend 20 minutes. But, and then they go off and they do the thing. Secretly, what they're doing is they're getting your message. They're, they're getting your data. They're getting exactly what you want. And they're helping create the plan to, in this example, roll it out. So now they're on board because it was their decision their thought, which means they feel great about it and then they want to move it forward. So that is the critical element is to get the group, the person, the human to want to engage. Now, sometimes we don't have the latitude of an entire group, nor, oh, I'm actually facilitating this workshop. It's, it's you're standing behind a podium because that's the environment. And, and again, in my experience for product managers and why I love you so much is sometimes you have no choice you just, you have to get it out there. There are still some sneaky ways to get a group involved and engaged, and it comes in the form of questions. We've been taught as human beings, Chad, that we have to have all the answers and we have to fix other people again and control free will and tell them what to do. But really, that's not the case at all. We, and even again, and having done this in front of 600 people behind a podium, can still do this. Who can Help me on, just throw it out for me, gang. Raise your hand if you have an idea and, and you can interact with the group, but still control it and get them engaged. Sometimes if you can't get verbal interaction, you could still get physical with something as simple as this. Raise your hands if you think this is going to be a challenge when I'm explaining to all of you. Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be. So how many of you would agree that by doing X, Y, Z, as we talked about, this can really be remarkable for our organization? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's great. So you're asking these assumptive questions, but you're also asking those kinesthetic somatic learners to be physically engaged. So sneaky, sneaky way, but now they are now that right. So they're having that new thought the feeling and then they'll want to go ahead and support. And in any case with a product manager, if you if you are, I hate to use the phrase, but stuck in this environment that you can't necessarily control, the engagement always leave it with, clearly I am here for you as soon as we are done to answer questions and there are more details on how we'll roll this out. Let's work together and just make it this inclusive, inclusive open environment and follow up. Following up, of course, if you've committed to following up, you better follow up, fulfill your promises for sure.
there's two things that are kind of sinking in with me as you talk through this. One is that you, you use the word mindset and the you know just how we are approaching this, how are we thinking about our communication with others? And like all of us, product managers come from all kinds of different backgrounds too, and we're all wired differently. Some are, tend to be, my background's engineering, some come from marketing, some tend to be more customer focused, some tend to be more technically focused. We should be interacting with the customer frequently. And I know that scares some product managers until they have at least more experience with doing so because mm-hmm. we're just all different. So one of the things I'm taking away from what you're talking about is just that that realization that we need to not just be dictating in a sense information like, you know, here, here's my plate full of information and I'm giving it to you. This needs to be a, a relationship in the sense that I need to know that what you're understanding and also help me help me with this information and so we can make it better together. And then you also keep short, uh, throwing out some quick, uh, simple things to do. Like I, I like the phrase that you could just stop and say, wow, I just shared a lot. Can you tell me what you heard, what you heard me say about that? Perfect. It's so you, you, I, I, I forgot you were an engineer by trade. And as you said that, I, I, I have many thoughts and feelings over what, <laughs> what you just said, because I'm going to stereotype for the sake of making a point. The, the, I have worked with a lot of engineers in my experience as product managers and so product experts. And I, a lot of times we have had challenges because I was always in the role of taking their information to help them disseminate it to a, to a customer or to the corporate entity or to the sales or whomever it is. And it was always a challenge because the, the, we have to start with John you are not necessarily the ideal human to get this information across. And that, so number one, it was just the, it com, you know, it comes back to what you just said, the mindset and the wanting to, and that, I think that's why I said, we have to start with the goal. What's your real goal? And you mentioned talking with the customers, the people with I, with whom I have spoken with, again, this is my historical experience. They never wanted to talk to the customers because the product managers were so proud of the product that was created. They didn't care necessarily what the customer thought anymore because they know that they've done everything right and they've been in it. Have you ever been swimming in something so much that your fingers are pruny and you forget to look around and ask? It's kind of the equivalent of swimming a race, like you're in the water and you're swimming and swimming and you hit land and then you go, oh, I won the race. And you realized you never picked your head up while you were swimming to ask for feedback. And yes, you hit land, but you're, everybody else is on the other side of the beach because that's, they were paying attention. What does the customer actually want? So it's the same, and that, right? It's, and it's not natural. Again, I am stereotyping for a reason in my experience, the, the people for whom made up the engineering slash product environment were task driven and they knew that it was right. And I'm not saying it's not, it usually is, but they never asked what was really wanted. So in this case, to help the product managers to head up in this, in this analogy, it's to remind them what's really your goal. And our goal as a company is to sell your product. That's the goal. So how can I help? The best way I can help you do that is to create a marketing event that that hits the ideal customers, you know, all the things that go along with it. And and you know what? From my perspective, asking the product manager, how can I help you? What What is the best way that I can help you? And not telling them. Don't tell. Right. So I'm not sure if I made if I helped 
added any value in, in my little diatribe right there. You gave me some new ideas for us to talk about. So the the stereotype, you know, product uh, engineers were, were taught to solve problems, right? That, that's the fundamental thing we exactly. did through college. Was, yes. We can solve right. problems and we're good at it. That does extend to product managers regardless of where you come from because we the biggest problem I see in our field is we tend to get attached to our solution, right? It's our baby, this thing that we're creating, right? The pool that we're swimming in, it's, it's everything that we're about right now. The best product managers are ones that fall in love with the customer's problem, and that's what they're all about, right? And, and they go down a solution path that doesn't really add value. They'll find another solution path. And that's what we really need to be about and it's where facilitation, this aspect of communication, becomes so important because we do need to deeply understand that problem and help others that have the same tendency because organizations are built around creating solutions, help others to also not get too attached to the solution so that we're solving the problem in the best way we can. Right. Um, th- thoughts on that solving problem aspect? I actually wrote down what you just said, which is the customer problem. Mm -hmm. And we also often focus on the thing problem, the math problem. They, hey, this didn't get fixed right. We have to go back and tighten up this bolt and make this work. But the, and we choose to not prioritize to put time into the customer problem. And some of us, and I've been there myself, perceive that as I don't have time for that. When quite frankly, that should be the first thing that you are making time for. And I was talking to a leader within Tesla a few weeks ago and, and he's incredibly busy and, and he's, he actually runs learning and development there. So we were talking about training and whatnot. And he said, I have to go because I'm taking some customer calls. And I said, you're taking, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I, I take customer calls at least once a week and he's a high up person. And I went, that's pretty magnificent. He goes, well, we couldn't survive without it. And it, the way he said it, Chad, was just so, well, duh, it, without knowing the real problems. And this isn't just a product, a product manager's focus. This is a company's focus. Without acknowledging them, you'll never be successful. I, our responsibility as a company is we work with entire organizations to help them acknowledge their roadblocks, their there, what wall did you hit and how can we teach you and give you the tools and skills and knowledge to blow it up, go around it, go under it, whatever it is. And 99 out of 100, I'm hesitant to say 100, is because they weren't willing to look at the thing. And in this case, with it's we got to find out what the customer wants and solve the problem. They didn't want to look at what the reality was. And those 99 times, it's a people challenge. Isn't that interesting? It's usually, and again, I am so stereotyping and I say this with love because again, I love product managers and working with them is they're not all built to focus on the, the, what we call the high eye and disc, right? So the, the, the people that's not their, it's task, it's data, it's, which is all good and necessary. But if we're not really heading up and acknowledging that the problem is that in the product team, Sally and Joe are not getting along at all, and they're in a wild disagreement, and therefore they're not sharing information and slowing down our entire production line. Right. And all that's right. what we need. So that was a very long-winded answer of saying, yes, yes, I agree, because you asked me. Focus on the problem. And I love the Tesla example there of the executive who is mm-hmm. spending time. And I love seeing management teams that do that, spend time taking customer calls, interacting with the customer. Critical. 
I have, have two other questions for you, and I'll ask them together so you just respond how, how you like to. As we were talking, one thing that came to mind is maybe you're, you're, you need to deliver a message, you need to get someone on board, and you don't have the rapport, the trust, the, you know, you're, you might be an outsider for that group. My personal experience was seeing product managers interact with sales team, and sometimes they're completely disregarded by the sales team because they just haven't built up the trust. And other people that can go in and be really effective sharing basically the same information, but they have the relationship. So first question there is, what about partnering with others to help you be more successful with your communication delivery? And the use of story anywhere in this, because uh, you said something earlier that kind of alluded to, you know, making things memorable and retain information and, and how you might use story in that. The answer is yes. So the partnering piece Absolutely love that idea specifically. And my head went right back to 20, my two mentors, Ron and Nancy, phenomenal facilitators. They were in the car business forever. They became friends because Ron was the analytical guy. Nancy was the personable guy. And when they, they, Nancy had no patience, didn't know the product and all of it, but she was a master of building relationships and Ron could care less about the people. And he, but he knew everything and they would partner on sales and they together, nobody could compete with them in regard to, in this case, car sales it was brilliant. So no one is good at everything. And we, I hesitate to tell any person who got three, got A's in English and um, social studies, but got a, a D in math to go become an accountant and go become, you know, try to get a D and no focus on what you're really good at. And if you and your capacity are phenomenal at the core of your job, however, selling it is just not your bag. Then the choice to partner with somebody is brilliant because the, the relationships are everything. And back when I, when I used to work for BMW of North America, and I was the face of performance management nationally for all employees. The people came to me sometimes very upset and said, why am I not being heard and seen? And I said, I don't know who you are. You are not, I said, you're putting no emphasis on networking nor marketing yourself. Why should I have to? I said, that's because that's how it works. That's how life works. And the answer isn't pretty nor sexy, but it is a fact. So if you want your audience, and in this case, sales, to, to listen to you, and I get it. I've been, again, I've been there. I've worked with many of the engineers whom I also love, who I watch them get discounted and, and tossed aside because of how, in this case, he chose to communicate his message to which the sales team was bored and discounted him 100%, right? And it's a shame. It is a shame. However, this is our reality. You have choices. Do you want to remain a victim to it and be in the blame game? Well, I should be seen and hurt or, okay, let me shift my perspective. Right. These guys right. don't like me. They are not listening to me. What do I need to do? The second piece of that, if you don't want to partner with somebody, is to actually shift your behavior. I caution that you never want to lose who you really are. You never want to resent having to shift so much that there's a value rub. And that's on you. That's on your audience. That's on you right, to really say, okay, am I have, do I have to fake this so much on a daily basis that I hate myself? That's different, right? That's aggressive. But if you can fake it enough and shift and quite frankly, go out to dinner and drinks and to build a relationship, this is a tool and you're, right? Then go do it. And that's how, that's how things are being 
are they being made? So that was the first component of what you asked. Now, what was the second? Remind me. Yeah, so that was quite helpful. So partnering, look for partners that can make you be more successful. Gain the skills you need yourself to put, just make yourself more present, right? And get out there and do the networking. And the second part, really unrelated, but it was something I've heard as we've talked uh, for the last many minutes um, about the use of story. How how do you use Story. story in making your communications more effective? The, first of all, I think transparency and vulnerability is huge in getting people to trust you. If this was 20 years ago, I never would have said to you, Chad, what was the second part of the question? Because I would have thought that would have made me look stupid or look small or look bad. And now in my old age, I don't care because I know that that, right? So that is not answering your question about the story, but that is also adding to how you can be relatable to others to get them to want to hear you and to trust you. And I will tell you, it is a technique I have used by accident in the beginning because I had no choice. But when you can humanize yourself to others, you're in. You're just absolutely in. So, but back to the actual question that you asked, which was the use of story. The, the very specific answer is when you can do it every single time. Everyone loves a story. Everyone can relate to a story. I just gave a keynote around roadblocks and victim mentality and five choices, which I've done. And I always start with my own personal story because then everyone here, they're in, they're engaged. It's air quote entertaining. And then when I teach the the things, I relate it back to the story and pull from it. And it makes it that much more memorable. And what I'm doing is I'm hitting the the visual learner. I'm hitting the intellectual learner. The reading, writing, I always suck for a second. Some guys write this down. Go ahead and write down part of the story that I said, fail here for whatever the, whatever the story is. And so you do what you need to do to engage all those learners and when in doubt, create a story. We can help you with that because I know sometimes it's hard. Well, how can I create a story around this? You know, sometimes the story can just be your own journey, journey with the product. Not long, not too vulnerable, but just something to really humanize what you're talking about, which will get others to lean in with immediacy. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that, uh, emphasizing that aspect as well. Helping again, what our message to be information that they can retain and remember and take action on. And so often we're just trying to facilitate moving towards the decision and getting creating collaboration with that. And lots of good tips, like just the one you shared again, you know, you know, stop, stop for a minute and write this down, right? You're just getting people to engage and, and that is very mm-hmm. helpful too. Excellent. Thanks for all the good information. As listeners know, we love innovation quotes or sometimes the phrase as success quotes, however you want to think about that. Can you share the one you have for us and tell us what that means to you? If you can predict it, you can prepare for it, which was shared with me so many years ago. My, my mentor, Ron Chatwin, shared this with me, and it hit me like a ton of bricks because the word innovation in my world always means technology and, and all of these new ideas and whatnot. And really, for me, innovation is about humans and how to get in front of it and, and be ready for the potential of what a human will feel and then react with. So if you can stop before you communicate any message in this case, to stop and really think about everything that could be happening, feeling and shift your perspective to prepare, then then I can predict it and I can be that much more ready to support and guide my message going forward. 
Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. You have a book available with some more details in there to help us become better communicators and facilitators. It's The Art of Facilitation, Communicate So They Remember. Please share with us how we can find out more about that as well as other work you do and if anyone wants to reach out to you. The, of course, you can get it on Amazon, of course, and our, our web page, rpcamerica.com, if you're interested. And we actually have another book coming out in the third quarter called Fantastic Facilitation Fails. And I am so, it's a compilation book, and I'm so excited about it because why should you have to fail? Why don't you learn from the lessons of the big dogs and how they failed fantastically? P.S. I had to narrow my stories down because I have just way too many. And so it should be a fun read to be able to really get some specific action items on how to communicate your message and not make the mistakes that we made (laughs) during our, our long journey. Often the best way to learn is from the examples of making mistakes and uh, learning from others' mistakes instead of making them yourself is good. A hundred percent. Tina, thank you so much for the great information. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a blast. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.